Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. This is Michael McGraw. I am here virtually with Michael Shutt, who is hanging out in Sandbridge, Virginia, just south of Virginia Beach, where I'm going next week. So you're scouting it out for me. I am scouting it out for you. I, uh, I'll file a very detailed report so you know exactly what to expect. And let me tell you, there's some real good curveballs here. Okay. Looking forward to that. Yeah. So we've got a lot of a lot of realignment stuff is going on in the background here, which I don't want to talk about. I just want to ignore it for today, especially since there's just like endless rumors. Clemson and Florida State might be leaving. Arizona's having a meeting today. Florida State's having a meeting tomorrow. Let's just like let's just put all that aside. I think as far as ACC stuff anyway, with that, we're in a position where we kind of have to wait and see like there isn't. We don't have anything now and like it all seems so complicated and I think the thing that frustrates me the most about all of this and this is literally the only thing I have to say about realignment at this point is that everybody seemingly everyone with a Twitter account has taken this as a perfect opportunity to tweet as if they know something and it makes it impossible I'm sorry not Twitter X everyone with an X account is posting as if they know something and it makes it impossible to know what's real and what's not. And I think we just have to wait till the dust settles and kind of see what we're left with. Yeah. I mean, when people from Barstool are like the definitive voice of this, that they happen to know that Oregon and Washington and Clemson and Florida state are all colluding together. You can't even just get, one of those programs to move all four of them are colluding together like that's uh that's a little bit much for me here's the thing i think is would be funny though among all this realignment talk notre dame could finally redeem itself and do the funniest thing of all time and join the pac-12 just right now just for no reason unbridled let's go we're joining the pac-12 we're saving it we're gonna take over where usc was it'll never happen but i just think that'd be funny uh, I say go for it. I am welcoming all chaos. I think that, honestly, the more chaos there is, the more this uh, lends itself to my master plan, which is the dissolution of the NCAA and just a complete overhaul of how we do college sports. And I think we're on our way. Uh, this thing is falling apart and is at a place that just can't be redeemed, I think. And I'm so into it. Well, we still have the NCAA for now. And we have football coming up in just three and a half short weeks, which is very exciting. And today, the media surrounding the ACC published their preseason poll, ranking the teams from top to bottom where they expect them to go. We have, uh, unsurprisingly, Clemson and Florida State at the top. North Carolina's in at three. NC State, you guys got a first place vote. That's pretty cool. Yeah, only uh, team outside of the top three to get a number one vote. Uh, whoever that voter is, you're brilliant. I'm glad you can see the future. Yeah. Um, when, when looking at the preseason poll, was there anything that jumped out to you or anything that was kind of unexpected or teams that you think will either overachieve or underachieve where the media has them? Yeah, I kind of have a lot here. Um, so we can go back and forth if you have some things. I'd say the first thing that jumped out to me was Clemson in the top spot over Florida State. I kind of, I understand that, you know, for God, like almost, I guess like 15 years now, this has felt like Clemson's league to lose. 
but I just look at that roster and feel like I'm not a full believer in Cade Klubnik quite yet. I don't know. I don't know why. He obviously looked good when he played, but I just need more from him. You've got a offense that outside of Will Shipley doesn't have like any real proven skill position players as weapons. Um, a defense that has lost a lot of talent. I just feel like the voters are, are really giving Dabo a lot of credit here, which is fine. He's earned some credit for sure. But this Florida State team has really, in my opinion, undone some of the recruiting pitfalls that were there four or five years ago. And it's really built up and looks good in the trenches and has the skill players, has the quarterback. I just think Florida State, in my mind, is like the unquestioned favorite in this league. So I was a little surprised to see Clemson in that number one spot. I, I get where you're coming from. And I think Jordan Travis is probably the most exciting player anywhere in the conference. So, you know, just having him there, I could see that plus the position players that Florida State has that you would be drawn to them. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, I would be very surprised if the ACC championship is not Clemson and Florida State. But I do think that Clemson deserves the benefit of the doubt here. I love the hire of Garrett Riley. I think he is going to make a world of difference with Clemson's offense, which has struggled under DJU for a couple of years and now fully getting K Clubnick the opportunity to take the reins as their quarterback. Will Shipley is great, like you said. I think that they still have 15 starters that are coming back onto the team. So it's not, you know, yes, they've lost talent, but they they have a lot there that is still top level talent for their team. So, I mean, flip a coin at this point. I I like Clemson maybe a little bit more than you do, but I don't think that it'll be that big of a difference. I think Clemson will win round one simply because it's a home game. And then maybe they have a rematch in December in the ACC championship. Yeah, I don't think that they're a bad team at all. I just think Florida State has, for my money, in Jared Verse is the best defensive player in the conference, and Jordan Travis can feasibly be the best offensive player in the conference. Uh, Johnny Wilson outside. like there, There's just a lot of talent on that team, more than I think Clemson has currently. And I'm just, I am curious to see how it plays out. Honestly, the team that's up there at the top that seems out of place to me, and I promise I'm not just hating, but Carolina, their defense can't stop anybody, you know, and off of that bad defense. I mean, their secondary lost six players to the transfer portal and really didn't bring in anybody that is all that inspiring. I mean, there's definitely they had some incoming, but nobody really great. They have a new offensive coordinator. So Drake May has to adjust to a new uh, offense. And I think it's just going to be tough. There's going to be some growing pains there. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. This is a team that has been great offensively since Mac Brown returned, but their defense has been an absolute disaster. They brought in Gene Chizik last year as the defensive coordinator, and they gave up 6.1 yards per play, which ranks 114th in the country. They gave up 31.3 points per game, which is 104th in the country. And it doesn't matter how good your offense is. If your defense is like, outside of the top 100 there is no way that you can reasonably contend like drake may could be a heisman winner and they still would not be able to win the conference with the defense that bad i i don't see north carolina like maybe this is again our our bias as anti-carolina people but 
for them to be third, I I definitely don't see it. Even even with the star power that they have and the kind of the buzz around their offense, they're just going to have to blow out everybody offensively. Yeah, I just I I don't know. I mean, I think that they can definitely score points, but I I don't see them in a conference that honestly, like looking up and down the league, like there's plenty of pretty competent defenses out there and and i just feel like it's going to be hard for them to score what they need to score to to get to where they need to be i don't think that this is a bad team and and you know you do have drake may who will be a top three nfl draft pick if he stays healthy and is incredibly talented but i just don't know what the offense looks like i don't know if it's capable of scoring at the level they need to and i i'm trying really hard not to just be a carolina hater here i just i don't know i just don't quite see it this feels like another classic example of the thing that happens a lot with them which is they get overranked at the top of the beginning of the season i do think looking at my list here i think the one team that was a little surprising to me was louisville down at eight the fact mm. that a lot of people have them up higher in their rankings if you look at kind of predictions or projections of most wins most people have them at kind of third or fourth in the conference and averaging eight wins i think is their vegas line for the season so for them to be eighth i was a little surprised by that returning 13 starters uh they uh have a kind of a favorable schedule for the most part they don't have to play north carolina they don't have to play florida state they don't have to play clemson like I, I think it sets up really well for them to be kind of one of those dark horse teams and for them to be kind of like middle of the pack here. I don't know. I see them better positioned than some of those teams like Pitt, uh, maybe Miami ahead of them. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Louisville's on my list is the team that seems the most egregious underrating. Um, like you said, schedule's favorable. They're bringing in an experienced transfer quarterback in Jack Plummer who's played for Coach Brom in the past. So there's some familiarity there in addition to just the experience playing for Power 5 teams at Purdue at California. They've got two very explosive returning running backs, Joar Jordan and Maurice Turner. Defense is super experienced in the secondary. And, and so I just think that this is they, – they are way underrated. And I think like you actually kind of like mentioned this, another team that I think is too high above them. Teams like Pitt. That defense, I know we're all super like everybody has so much confidence in Pat Narduzzi and his ability to to make it work, but that defense only has five starters back. You've got a new quarterback in Phil Jerkovic, who I just don't really have a big I don't know. I'm not that confident in him. Um I feel like he's that name that's been out there for the past several years that people are like, Yeah, this guy's really good. And then I watch him play, and I'm just kinda like, Is he? Is this guy actually that talented? And and you know, you look at that, and I just think Louisville should be higher. I mean, I mean, I think Syracuse is too high as well. Losing stud running back Sean Tucker, three offensive line starters gone, including uh, Bergeron, the early second round pick. Falcons, they lose their three top defensive backs, including Garrett Williams, who was the best corner in the conference last year. Their best linebackers, that like I, I don't know. I just think there was kind of some fool's gold with Syracuse last year, where people are like, "Oh, Garrett Schrader's really good," and this team did enough to keep Dino Babers there, but I just, I don't know. I don't have faith in teams like them to be above a team like Louisville. Um, I think they're going to be a little lower than, than the media seems to think. Well, now you don't have Robert and I there as the offensive coordinator. So right. what are you going to do, Syracuse? That's yeah, right. I, I kind of think of this list as like four tiers. So you've got Clemson and Florida State are like the main national contenders tiers. 
then you've got a bunch of teams that are kind of like, yeah, I could see it. So like North Carolina fits into that for me, NC State, Miami. And then you have things could be pretty good, but I don't really see them contending. And that, you know, for me, that's like Duke, Louisville. And then you've got a bunch of other people like I, the Pitts, the Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Boston College, Wake even. I mean, I'm interested to hear what you think about Wake. For me, they are up a little bit higher than I might normally put them, given all that they've lost. But at the same time, Dave Clawson, their head coach, like he's so good. He's brought the floor up at Wake, and they just every year you don't think they're going to be good. You look at their roster, and you're like, yeah, I don't really see them doing anything. And then they chug out eight or nine wins. And so maybe they'll do it again this year. But it seems like with Sam Hartman leaving and, you know, this would be the year for them to finally kind of like take a precipitous decline. Yeah, I think there's no doubt they're going to be down from where they were the last couple of years and you lose Sam Hartman, A.T. Perry. And and, and just I think that that's going to be a challenge for them. But like you said, I couldn't agree more. I I think the biggest thing that Dave Clawson has done at that program is raise the floor. So this used to be a team that would have some good years. Like you think back to the, um, oh God, what was his name? Riley, was it Riley Dixon? No. Riley Skinner? Riley Skinner. Riley Skinner, those years under Jim Grobe. And you'd have like some really good years and they hit this high ceiling and then they'd bottom out. And and I just think the Clawson Demon Deacons, they don't bottom out. They don't, they don't hit the, the, the floor of the conference anymore. And so, it's hard to predict. I think they may be a touch lower than some people think, but I don't think they're falling down into that bottom feeder territory that we are expecting to see occupied by teams like Boston College, Georgia Tech. I don't want to mention the other team that I think is going to be down there, but yeah, I just don't see Wake sliding that far. We can talk about Virginia. They are DFL here in this list, which is just means which more bulletin board material. I don't think they're going to be dead last. I really don't. I think you're going to start to see some positive signs here. I think Tony Elliott last year offensively maybe tried to... I think the cart came before the horse a little bit. I think they tried to move a little too quick in terms of a very big philosophical change and with personnel that didn't quite fit. I think that running back room has gotten stronger, and so I think you're going to start to see a better run game. I mean, the O-line is definitely a concern for UVA. We'll see how Tony Musket plays, right? I mean, like that's a that's kind of a big wild card. Defense has weirdly very quickly gotten better and become the strength. Like, <laughs> it was so. It seems like just yesterday that you'd look at UVA and be like, "Well, we know they're going to score points, but they're not going to be able to stop anybody." And now it feels like all of a sudden it's the opposite. Where I'm like, "Yeah, this defense is going to hold up and allow you to stay in a game. Can you score enough?" And I think I, you know, I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're like a sleeper team for a top five finish or anything like that. But I don't think they're going to be last place. I think there's going to be some growth here. I don't have a ton of confidence in them, even though I have been very impressed with John Rudzinski, defensive coordinator, coming in immediately from Air Force and really solidifying that defense into a top 50 unit after they had been horrendous. I mean, the Brennan Armstrong, Robert and I, years before where they were setting offensive records and still only went six and six. I mean, that that tells you everything you need to know about the defense. But he did a great job. I'm a little worried still things you mentioned about how they're going to score. I don't know 
whether they have the position players to be able to score. And so it, it probably will be a tough second year. I was reading a, this article from Athlon where, and I, and I encourage everybody to go read it. It basically got like secret interviews from all the coaches in the ACC and kind of what their take on other teams were anonymously. And I, I really agreed with what they said about UVA, that this was a really tough hand that Tony Elliott's been dealt from everything on the field, off the field. Maybe they made some tactical decisions that were not the right ones offensively. And, you know, part of that might be something that they need to scale back on from a pro style offense perspective this year, but just how difficult it's going to be. And the question mark of having somebody come in from Monmouth and be your quarterback when you don't have the best offensive line, you don't have the best position players, could be a rough year for UVA. I think I think that's a reasonable expectation. Yeah, I, I totally get that. It's going to be an interesting in-state competition of two teams that are in that second year, like, let's see if the new coach can do it, right? Let's see what kind of strides are there, because I think Tech is in a similar, similar kind of spot where they're looking at, to see, you know, is there growth? And both teams have questions at quarterback. They have some uh weaknesses on the offensive line i am actually i'm a little higher on on virginia tech than i am on virginia i think both will definitely take steps forward and i don't think either of them will be as low as the preseason poll has them virginia tech i just think has done a little bit of a better job than uva in terms of reloading offensive weapons in the transfer portal you know they got to figure out quarterback they've got grant wells who was super underwhelming last year they brought in a transfer from baylor byron drones who is really dangerous dual threat guy. The thing that excites me about the Virginia Tech team is you think back to those like really good Beamer years and the defensive side of things, the secondary was the strength. They always had dudes in the secondary. And it's starting to feel like they have that again, which is super interesting. I mean, their front seven is still a question mark. So the defensive front, the offensive front, both question marks, and those are huge to being successful in football. I don't think they're going to be really good either. But I think both UVA and Virginia Tech are going to be fighting for that like 8, 9, 10 window in the ACC, which for both teams, I think is a really good sign of positive progress. The good thing is, I think Virginia has some more realistic fan expectations of understanding that like this is a process, hopefully. Virginia Tech, I think, just expects to be able to like snap their fingers and go back to Michael Vick era. And that Athlon piece that you're talking about had a really interesting thought on Virginia Tech about how that early mid-2000s era for Tech relied on them really tapping into the mine of talent in the Nova DC area. And now everybody knows that talent is there. And they're not the only ones looking there. So I think it's harder for them, but they'll get there. I think they're going to... I think both of these teams... I know you're not super high on Tony Elliott and not super optimistic, but I think both Virginia and Virginia Tech have a lot to look forward to here in the next couple of years. I think Virginia Tech, just based on their history, has an easier time getting back. But I'm not convinced on Brett Pry. I'm just not. I mean, I have to see some proof of concept on the field. And and it's definitely too early. I mean, this is his second year, so I'm not throwing him under the bus or anything, but the Athlon article that you referenced just then had a, an interesting quote about it. Quote, here's the biggest problem they have. There's no talent on the roster because they had a coach that didn't understand how fragile Frank Beamer's system was. 
Now to get the talent back in their own state, they're going to have to show proof of concept. And they really can't because the talent is so bad on the roster. Like I wouldn't have even said that about Virginia Tech's roster at this point. Like I, I kind of agree with you that they're, they will probably take a step forward from where they were last year, a three and eight team. But it seems like the perception, at least from other coaches in the ACC, is that they really have bottomed out in terms of talent on their roster. So that was just an interesting assessment. Yeah, I, I think they definitely bottomed out. Fuente, that guy sucked in terms of roster building, right? I think he had some interesting ideas, you know, conceptually on the field. But I think he really, um, he strikes me as somebody who came into Virginia Tech feeling like he was at like Alabama, where you can just like automatically get talent. And that's just not what was happening. And yeah, I just remember, I wish I could remember who wrote this, but I saw a piece last year. Uh, it was like a preview of Virginia Tech's roster before last season. And whoever it was was just saying, like, normally, you know, you look down these rosters and you're used to looking at Virginia Tech and being able to identify some guys. Thinking back to the um, uh, Jerome Tang and Kansas State from the basketball tournament, you need dudes. And you used to be able to look and just be like, there's some dudes on this team. There are NFL guys on this team. The whole team may not be that great, but there are some pieces. And last year in this preview that I read, this guy was like, God, I wish I could remember who wrote it, but they were looking at it and just saying, like, there are no dudes. There are maybe no NFL players on this roster. And that's unbelievable to think about Virginia Tech based on where they have been. But I think that's why I'm optimistic about them, because looking at this roster this year, there are guys you can point out as dudes. And I think some guys got some chance to show themselves. And I think that there's reason to look up. Again, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying that either of these teams are going to suddenly be like top three finishers in the conference. But I think there's going to be signs of optimism. And in year two of a coaching regime, that's kind of what you're looking for. You're not looking for sudden top of the line success. You're just looking for show me something that makes me feel like we're headed in the right direction. And that's where I, I honestly think both these programs are with the caveat that like I need to see more, but I feel good about it. It's just show me something now. So like pressure's on for sure. Even for Tony Elliott, like you got to show some growth. You got to show something that that's working where fans can look and say like, okay, I, we're not there yet, but I see where we're going. And if we can, you know, continue the roster construction along these lines, then we can be all right. You mentioned coaches in their second year. There are a couple of other programs that I think are the most interesting programs because I can't quite figure out what I think of them yet. And that would be Duke and Miami, both with coaches in their second year. So you look at Duke with Mike Elko as their head coach. Nine and four last year kind of took everybody by surprise. And some of that was schedule. Some of that was just they overachieved and got great play out of Riley Leonard, their quarterback. But first year gangbusters for Duke. And you look at their roster and they're returning 18 starters from last year. And people seem to just not think much of their team this year, despite the fact that they have that much talent returning. I don't know. Like, I think they could be really good. You look at their schedule, and their schedule is really difficult. So they have Clemson out of the gate. That's how you start your season. That's tough. You have to play Notre Dame at home. You got to play at Florida State, at Louisville, at North Carolina. So it's, it's definitely a tough road for them. But if you were just taking it in isolation and looking at what their record was last year and how much returning talent they have, like Duke would be in contention for top teams if it wasn't Duke, I think. 
And then you have Miami, which is kind of the other side of the coin, where you've got a coach in Mario Cristobal who was brought in and everyone was super excited about him. And they just were terrible last year. I mean, they were five and seven, completely did not uh, meet their expectations, fired both of their offensive and defensive coordinators. Their defensive coordinator, I guess, technically went to Alabama, but didn't work offensively. They turned a quarterback and Trevor Van Dyke, who was kind of a Heisman dark horse into just a mediocre to bad quarterback in the league. And now what do you do? Like, I don't know where Miami is going to be this year. If you just look at the talent on their roster and the fact that they have like a top 10 recruiting class, you would think, oh, this is going to be a really good team. But there's like no evidence of that on the field. And it seems kind of, I don't know. Like, I I just don't know what to make of Miami coming into the year. It's like, I wouldn't be surprised if they were 10 and two and finally got it together. But if you just look at Miami over the historical last 10 to 12 years they've been not that good not impressive at all yeah i love when we separately take down very similar notes in preparation for these episodes um (laughs) these two teams are my biggest question marks for opposing reasons like you've just outlined duke i think is is i don't know what to expect but i think they're going to be better than people think and second year when the first year was that successful you gotta feel good about if you can take another step forward, like this is a really good team, tough defensively, experienced quarterback who started his career with the under the tutelage of David Cutcliffe, which is never like a terrible thing for quarterbacks. Just ask the Mannings. But, you know, that schedule's tough. That schedule's real tough. And it's going to be evident, like you said, very early on um, what this Duke team is really about. Miami is intriguing on the other end of things where last year, I just remember preseason, everybody was like, this team, people were scared of them. It's like, you know, the old era of the U was going to be back. They've been recruiting well, and I think they are building up some talent, and I think they're going to, I think they will be good. I, I I don't fully trust them. I just, I just don't know yet. It feels like we're getting into this territory of, kind of what Texas has been over the last several years or even Florida state up until kind of last year where there's this like mythos that grows over like, Oh, they're back. They're going to like do the thing that we remember them doing. And, and then they just fall short. And I just don't know what that looks like with Miami this year. I mean, literally in my notes, I just have Miami next to it, like seven question marks. Cause I just, it's hard to say like, there's obviously talent there talent that they've grown through high school recruiting talent that they've gotten through the transfer portal will it be put together right like and i don't have the answer to that i don't even know that i have a reasonable prediction for it uh it's just something that i'm interested in seeing because i think if this team can put it together and play solid discipline like just good football with the talent that they have uh, they can be right there at the very top of the conference and and i wouldn't say it's like insane to think that there's a reality in which this team is even like competing for college football playoff if they put it together but nobody i think in their right mind uh is confident that that's what's going to happen so i actually think this is a good transition point to the second thing that we wanted to talk about which is trust i think that's what college football and betting on college football in particular is is all about trust and I've been organizing my thoughts for season preview articles that I write for the Sabre 
and trying to figure out who to bet on in the preseason, which teams, which programs that I have confidence in. We came up with this segment, which I think we were calling Ride or Die, which is like the people, the programs, the coaches that you just have like unbridled faith in, no matter what the red flags are, no matter what it is that you're concerned about, what the stats say, you just have the supreme confidence in these people to get it done. And kind of the flip side of that, too, like what are the teams that you just like, no matter what it is that you see, you're still kind of like... I don't know. I just can't get there. So I made a a list. I don't know if you did too. Yeah, I've got a list of some teams and some players that I'm riding with this season. And my my vision for this was kind of thinking like these are teams I want to I want to really keep up with and and stick with all year. If it's ride or die, it's ride or die. Right. So I'm locking it in today. These are teams and players that I'm riding with all year. And then I've got some teams and players that I just don't trust you know, that, that whether it's expectations are too high for just this year or past experiences, just make me look at them with a little bit of a side eye. So yeah, I've I've got a little bit of a list building here. Cool. And I, I focused my attention mostly on coaches. So this will be good because we'll get it from players, coaches, teams, we'll get it from all angles. So yeah, give me, give me your first one that you're just all in on no matter what. Sure. Uh, let's let's kind of stick in the ACC. There's a uh, you know I kind of for my teams I've got three high profile teams that I am riding with this year, and and I kind of sent this in and it's a little it's a little chalky, but I'm riding with Florida State this year. I just I couldn't be I, I don't like it, but I couldn't be more of a believer in the team that they've put together if healthy. That's my caveat, right? Like Jordan Travis has had some injury stuff. Um, but if this team stays healthy, Mike Norvell and this Florida State team have my utmost confidence. I think that they are a college football playoff team. I kind of don't want that to be true. I hope you're right. I don't want it to be true either. But that's the beauty <laughs> of this, right? Is like there's things that I can have confidence in that they don't make me happy. But I, I think uh, they've they've nailed this in terms of a retooling of the program. And yeah, I no one can convince me. That if this team stays healthy, they are not that tier of program for this for this season. So my ACC one here, is, and it's interesting because I don't have a lot of faith in them this year, but just long term is actually Pat Narduzzi. He is somebody who is like in a show. I just got through finishing Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton and basically the premise of it is that he's like this really smart lawyer who drinks a lot and has kind of unconventional methods of getting the job done. But ultimately at the end he gets the job done and everybody just kind of has to go along with it and be like, well, I don't really trust you, but gosh, darn it, you get results. And I kind of feel like that's Pat Narduzzi. Like he's not likable. I don't like Pitt, but at the same time, they are kind of the Goliath of the ACC since he got there in 2015, he has a record of 30-12-1 against the spread on the road and 10-5 and against the spread after a bye, which, incidentally, your boy, Dave Doran, is the, has the best record after a bye of anybody uh, against the spread in college football. No big deal. Elite but, coaching. Yeah. Like, this is a guy, Pitt, he complains all the time about NIL and stuff like that because Pitt is this minor program, minor city 
but he's only had one losing season in eight years. And that's kind of amazing for a pit program. He's got an ACC championship in there as well. And even though I just hate his guts, at the end of the day, if Pitt's on the road, I'm like probably going to bet on them. I get it. This is another one. I'm, I have a similar reaction to this that you had to mine. I, I just don't want this to happen. And I don't fully trust it. Uh, they lost a lot of talent too. And just like they've had pretty good quarterback play over the years and they had uh, some good running back play as well. And I just, and, and wide receiver. And like, I just, I don't see it on their roster. But again, I guess like it's funny because you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. There's we didn't see it on their roster before, and it tends to be guys that you don't see coming. And and Pitt seems really really good at that, and it's frustrating. But this is probably a good call by you, and the numbers do seem to back it up. So I begrudgingly accept this as a pretty good pick. It it goes beyond this season. Some of these some of my picks here are like beyond Long one term. season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've just shown a track record of success or on the other side they've shown a track record of not being great in critical situations so anyway yeah. what, what else you got all right my next team that i'm riding with i'm gonna go ahead and be the guy to say it but texas is back texas yeah, is let's go back <laughs> this is like i hate i really I, I i can't stress this enough that over the last several years i've hated this storyline and this just like is Texas back? Oh, no, we're still not there. Cool. But looking at that team coming into this year and what they've built, they finally have my trust. This is the year, and they're going to find out real early. They, they open that season against Bama. So we're going to find out right from the start. But I just look at this team, and they are so loaded that the most high-profile quarterback, arguably of the last 10, 20 years, Arch Manning, is going to start the season on the bench and may not play this year. If if they get out of Quinn Ewers what they want to get out of Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning is going to barely see the field. And that's unbelievable. And I, and, and he's got to know that, right? So like going in, I mean you you got to have faith in yourself to compete, but like this doesn't seem like a situation where if he doesn't play, he'll transfer out. Like he knew what the deal was when he came into Texas. Seems good long term. So then you look through the rest of their offense. They've got receivers back that were dynamic for them last year. Uh, obviously, there's concern about losing Bijan Robinson, but they have a backfield that is insane in terms of players that have prior experience and production. And then, oh, on top of that, the number one running back in the class of 2023. And the defense has studs that have a ton of experience. Texas is back. They are leaving the Big 12 with a Big 12 title, surging their way into the SEC. All three of the teams that I have picked here as teams I'm riding with, I see as college football playoff teams. Let's ride with the Longhorns. I love it. Give it to me all year. This is like going to be my side team. I'm going to get some burnt orange. I'm so into it. Yeah, I love this pick. I think Texas is going to be definitely the winner of the Big 12. And I... You know what? Sark has done a great job. Steve Sarkeesian has done a great job of building them up. I mean, it's not like they were a pile of ember, but just with the amount of expectation that the Texas fan base has to get them to this point, I think they are finally ready to take that final step over the hump. And uh, yeah, I, I love them as my Big 12 pick. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about conference bets and stuff, but they are definitely... Definitely up there for me. One of my favorite picks of the year. Another uh, sleeper team. 
again, a little bit this year, but also just historically that I love Utah and Kyle Winningham. Kyle Winningham is just one of those people that when he's on the sideline, Utah, I just always assume is going to win the game. Even if I don't know anybody on their team, they have a track record of vastly overperforming the level of talent that they have from like a metric standpoint. So you look at the fact that they've won the Pac-12 the last two years, have an opportunity to three-peat. But from a uh, 24-7 composite recruiting standpoint, they ranked 30th, 34th, and 34th the last three years. So they're not getting the same level of talent as USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, any of those teams. And yet they're just right there every single year. And Kyle Whittingham has been there for like 16, 17 seasons. And if you take out the COVID year, the last season that they had with fewer than seven wins was in 2013. So like they, they are just a machine in Utah. They're almost impossible to beat at home. And then this year they have two 60-year players in Cam Rising, their quarterback, and Brant Keith, their tight end, who granted are both coming off of ACL injuries at the end of last year, but just that talent and experience. It wouldn't surprise me, you know, all the buzz that goes on with USC, Oregon, Washington, like it would not surprise me if Utah three beats. Like nobody, nobody is talking about the fact that Utah has won the last two Pac-12 championships. I like that a lot. Cam Rising is a good. Uh, I don't know if I said this when we talked about Heisman stuff several weeks back, but as like more recently, I think he's a good kind of dark horse. One of the best players in the country that people just don't talk enough about. I love watching Cam Rising play. Give me that guy on my team any day. Yeah, I, I love Utah. I like watching them kind of seemingly sneak up on the Pac-12 every single year somehow <laughs> like it's just kind of funny you'd think by now they'd kind of figure out like hey this team's gonna be up there at the top but they seem to never quite quite get that yeah who else you got all right my other team that i'm riding with that it's it's a popular pick and so none of these were were dark horsey but i just believe in it and i think this team's gonna live up to expectations just like florida state just like texas this team is led by a gentleman who i really really hate and I'm sorry that I think they're going to be really, really good. But I think LSU is for real. And, um, yeah, it's 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 amazing. I've seen some different SEC previews and things like that and just different columns from a bunch of different college football writers who seems like we're kind of in the phase where they're kind of forgetting again. Like, early offseason, I felt like LSU was super trendy pick. And now... I don't know. It seems like writers are starting to move away from that a little bit, at least some of the ones that I've seen. But there's so much talent there. And Jaden Daniels is one of my favorite players to watch. I hate Brian Kelly with a passion. I think he's an evil human being. But yeah, I think their LSU, I've always had like a weird soft spot for their football program. I enjoy watching them play. I think it's fun. I think that they've got a cool like history and tradition. But I just think this team is so, so loaded on both sides of the ball that, again, like I said, I think all three of these are college football playoff teams. So I think they're going to be right up there. Um, the SEC, obviously, really, really tough, but seems to be a window of opportunity with, you know, Bama probably going to have some quarterback struggles and some offensive struggles this year. You know, Georgia has to replace some production, although I think they're still going to be really, really great. 
So it feels like there's an opportunity there for LSU if they can seize that that opportunity. And, and I, I really, really love this Tigers team going into the year. So do you have Michigan and Ohio State out, or do you have Georgia out as your fourth team? In? Yeah. Ultimately, I think it's going to be Michigan, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously things can change. But right now, I would say Michigan, Florida State, Texas, and LSU. That would be a fascinating Final Four. That would be very, yeah, very I, different than what we've been I th- privy to. I, th- I think there's going to be uh, LSU, Georgia is going to like that will basically serve as a play in um, in terms of the SC championship game, but for the for the college football playoff. But yeah, I do think that that's where we're going to end up with. I have another dark horse pick, and it is in the Big Ten, and it is Luke Fickle and Wisconsin. I don't think anybody's had a better offseason than Wisconsin. I mean, first of all, just bringing in Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. This is a dude who, after going tw- uh, 4-8 and eight in 2017, has gone 11-2, and 11-3, and 9-1, 13-1, and 9-3 and in the years since then. That's amazing at a program like Cincinnati. Obviously, he got them into the playoff for the first time. Being able to bring in players, you know, they... You know, Cincinnati has never had the level of talent that they had when he brought you know people in like Sauce Gardner, and now he's going to Wisconsin, which is a, a, a re- you know just a machine of a program, and immediately trades out Graham Mertz, their quarterback, for Tanner Mordecai, who has thrown for over seven thousand yards in the last two years at SMU, and seventy two touchdowns. This is going to be one of the most exciting teams to watch. Wisconsin is so used to just like handing the ball off 45 times to some Ron Dane looking guy in the backfield. But this is going to be <laughs> like a, one of the most exciting teams to watch. And they have a pretty friendly schedule as well. Like I, I think that they are a dark horse team in the Big Ten in Luke Fickle's first year. It would not surprise me to see them at the, in the top 10 to end the year. I'm not sure that they have quite the talent yet to really be a meaningful competition to either Ohio State or Michigan for the playoff. But, I mean, they're going to be there. They're going to be just a step below them. Yeah, I um, understand, first of all, how quickly we forget the Tony Pike era at at Cincinnati. They had talent. How many Super Bowls has Tony Pike won? Hey, he was a Carolina Panther great for one training camp. (laughs) (laughs) The uh yeah, I have some thoughts on on Wisconsin. They're actually in my other category. But um Ooh, okay. Yeah. Really quickly, I'll be super fast about this cuz my the players I'm riding with this year are like incredibly chalky except for one. Well, arguably one and a half. So my super chalky ones, Caleb Williams, I think there's some people who feel like he may not be able to replicate what he did last year. I think he may actually be better not like you can't be much better right but i think uh, this guy is the real deal and i have so much faith in him the running back tandem at michigan of blake corum and donovan donovan edwards blake corum last year had the highest pff grade of any power five player ever in the history of college football um <laughs> and he's shorter good. than me yeah so yeah i love him Little little bull. He kind of reminds me of a uh, muscle hamster, Doug Doug Martin. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, and they've got the fact that they have a tandem of running backs there just makes them even more dangerous. The other super chalky one, Brock Bowers down at Georgia. 
this guy defies all expectations of what a tight end should be. I mean, he's ultimately a big wide receiver, right? This is Travis Kelsey, Gronk, all rolled into one. He's so good. He's so much fun to watch, and they get so creative with him. And I think as a team that's going to have to replace quarterback production, and they don't know who their starter is going to be quite yet, they're going to have to get creative scheme-wise, and Brock Bowers is like the greatest safety blanket you can have. The two other players that I'm thinking of, Sam Hartman, I think is going to have a great year at Notre Dame and get a lot of exposure. I think it was a brilliant move by him to kind of go somewhere with a little higher profile. And then we've talked about this one a lot, you and I have, but the guy I'm riding with as a homer is MJ Morris, who currently is the backup (laughs) quarterback at NC State, backing up Brennan Armstrong. But I think give it, uh, I don't know, two or three games, and this guy's going to be lighting the world on fire again, just like he did last year before injury. And he he also is the real deal. And I I think that uh, it's not long before he supplants Brennan Armstrong as the starting quarterback. Ride the bench or die. Love that. Oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. A <laughs> couple more that I had, and then we can move on to the next category. Uh, from a player perspective, Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State wide receiver. He had 52 catches of more than 10 yards last year, which was second in the entire country he had 77 catches overall so significant majority of his catches were over 10 yards that's pretty impressive 1263 yards receiving 14 touchdowns he was the first ever consensus all-american receiver in ohio state history and which which is kind of amazing considering the level of talent that they've had there and probably ohio state wins the semifinal game against georgia if he doesn't get injured so he is due for a huge season. There is some questions about Ohio State's quarterback, but I think he'll have a, see, a good season regardless, regardless of who's chucking the ball up in the air. I also wanted to shout out just from a team perspective. I don't know how good they're going to be this year, but just I think they've earned it from a long-term track record. Appalachian State, man, this team is always good. They have the six most wins of any FBS program since 2014 when they joined the Sun Belt. They're behind Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, and then it's them. They are so consistently good, 48 and 10 record at home since joining the Sun Belt. And this is like, doesn't matter who's on their team, doesn't matter who the coach is. They're just always like, I would never want to schedule my team to go play there like UNC did. Like, that's just crazy. Yeah, that is, that is, uh, a program close to my heart grew up in North Carolina, and they were technically conference rivals with Elon, but I always loved App State growing up. We had some good family friends who were massive fans, and, and that program that, that Jerry Moore and Armani Edwards built as FCS powerhouses, I mean, they, they really built that in a way where they were able to make the transition, and it's been awesome to watch. And that place is, I will say, like you may not want to take your team to play there, but as a fan... What a place to go watch a game. It is an awesome stadium. Beautiful backdrop. The environment is incredible. Highly, highly recommend Kid Brewer Stadium down there in Boone. So those are the teams that we're feeling confident about. What about the other side of the coin? Who are you just not able to trust? Who can't you put a ring on it? Yeah. Let me start with Wisconsin. Now, long term, I don't feel bad about this, but I'm thinking about this season a little bit more. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains with this new offensive approach. I don't think that Phil Longo can come in and just 
working with with Luke Fickle all of a sudden installs some like you know world changing dynamic spread air raid type offense and and they've said it's not going to look totally like that. You got Braylon Allen still there at running back. Like you don't want to totally abandon it, and your roster's not built for a full on spread air raid type thing. So you, you got to find this middle ground, and that's actually where I think they'll struggle. Now their schedule is easy. I still see them as big time, you know, Big Ten West contenders, and, and think that they'll they'll do just fine. But I think that systematically Tanner Mordecai actually may struggle with what they're going to do. I mean, this is a guy who in his, he's all, so he's had played two seasons as a full-time starter, double digit interceptions in both seasons. He's not going to throw enough. I don't think to put up the video game numbers in terms of yards and touchdowns that he's had. I just think this is going to take time and maybe it works down the road, right? Eventually I think this will be successful at Wisconsin. I just think this season they're going to struggle. I think that there is a ballooned view of what how successful this can be right away. And I just think that there's going to be some some difficult adjustments to make and that their their roster just isn't quite built to be successful in the way that Phil that that Luke Fickle and Phil Longo want them to be. So I think it's going to take some time and and I just I don't fully trust them going into this season. Disagree, man. I think they're going to be great. Well, we'll see. This is, this is good. This gives us a good thing to track all year. A couple, couple ones that I had here mentioned already. I'm just not sure about Mario Cristobal at Miami. Mm. I see that he's a good recruiter. I see that he won a Rose Bowl with a program that was built from Chip Kelly at Oregon. But this is also a guy who should know Miami very well. He has coached there before and went five and seven in his first year with a lot of talent. Like he, the amount of talent that he had, he should not be getting into four overtime games with UVA. Like that's just not an acceptable thing for him to be doing. He has a 67 and 67 record in the 12 years he's been a head coach and was 27 and 47 at FIU before landing the Oregon job somehow. And last year they were, According to Bill Connolly's SP plus model, the worst Miami team that they've fielded since 1970. And there were some like kind of iffy, problematic Miami teams in there with uh, Shannon as the coach. They ran out Manny Diaz because he was only a seven and five coach. I don't know. I it, like I just I'm not 100 percent sure. We mentioned Tyler Van Dyke earlier like this. This was a guy that was poised to be a Heisman dark horse candidate last year and he would just looked completely overwhelmed he was getting sacked all the time maybe some of that's on him for holding the ball too long but i'm just not convinced that he's like actually a good coach even though he has this reputation as being like one of the best coaches in the country yeah i mean like i said earlier big question mark and and i he does feel to me like the big name coach that i trust the least so i'm on board with you here i i just I just don't know. I, I don't want to go on record and be like, oh, I think my, you're not, not saying this is what you're doing, but I don't want to go on record and be like, Miami's going to be bad or good or what. I, I just don't know. Like, I'm not, I've never, right. I don't know that I've ever been less confident in like making a prediction for a team because I think there's so, like I said earlier, so much talent. And I, I just don't know what Mario Cristobal really is. Like, what is he about? Like, is he, does, does he have it? 
Well, I'll I'll stick in the the state of Florida for the next team that I don't trust, and that is Florida. The Gators looking to to kind of continue to rebuild under Billy Napier, and I, I'm I'm not into it. I don't have a lot of faith in them taking steps in the right direction. I mean, you're replacing Anthony Richardson, a top five NFL draft pick. You're replacing your best offensive lineman in addition to three other starters. So four of your five offensive linemen you are replacing. Your defense was one of the worst defenses in the SEC. Your answer at quarterback is Graham Hertz, who we just talked about. Wisconsin did not hesitate to to basically upgrade from him. All of this from a team that, uh, let me check my notes here, was just six and seven last year. So, like, you're losing things from a team that already just wasn't very good. Now, in the past, Billy Napier has shown an ability to improve an offense early on. Uh, Louisiana, he built a pretty good offense, very good offense, very quickly. However, I don't think that Graham Mertz is the guy to do it. He has a lot of experience, and that is about the only positive thing people can say about him. He's not super athletic. He doesn't have a big arm. Like He feels like a game manager type of guy, and I just don't know that that's going to be enough. They've got good running backs, but again, you've got offensive line concerns. The defense was like painfully bad painfully bad last year opponents converted on third down 49.1 percent of the time that is the worst in the sec they were regularly giving up 30 points in games and their defensive coordinator left for the nfl and was replaced by a 29 year old coach austin armstrong which is funny because a lot of the excuses that you see when you look up like florida fans on twitter and things and their blogs and stuff they're like oh well, our defense like going back to last year our defensive coordinator is young and experienced and that's why we're having issues it'll get better so they replaced him with a younger one um, which doesn't necessarily indicate failure but it's just kind of funny to me there's potential there's young guys they've 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 hit up the transfer portal a lot to try to improve but they lost three games in a row to in the season including losing to vanderbilt which they hadn't done since 1988. Uh, this is a team that that has had two straight losing seasons. This will be a third, and, and I don't know the last time they've done that. It's been a while. So I, I don't have a lot of faith in Florida. I think when Florida State's trending in the right direction, Miami is trending in a direction. Florida seems to be going the wrong way. They have to play at Utah, at Kentucky, at South Carolina, at LSU, and have home games against Tennessee and Georgia and Florida State. And they play Florida State. Yeah, I forgot to mention their non-conference yeah. schedule was brutal. How are they going to be bowl eligible? Like, this is the first time I, I don't forever. think they will. I think they're going to win like four yeah. or five games. Honestly, I think they're going to be bad. This is like one of the first years in forever that I can remember the expectations being this low at Florida. Like, they are just... I don't know. I feel like Florida fans are kind of despondent about it and don't know how to react, but that's okay. It, it happens to everybody. Just keep chomping. <laughs> keep chomping. I had one from a coaching perspective. Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Great season two years ago. 11-2. and two. Secured the bag. Got the bag. 10 years, $95 million, which is the third largest contract ever given to a public university employee. And even with that 11 and 2 record, his record overall at Michigan State is 18 and 14. It's not very good. Like it's it's it turns out it's a lot harder to actually build a full team in a major conference when you can't just hand the ball off to Kenneth Walker the 3rd every single down. That was a great formula for success and he has yet to pivot 
to another formula. Now, he, he still has some reputation. He's had two top 25 recruiting classes the last two years. So I don't think it's inconceivable for Michigan State to be back. But man, I just don't trust the long term here. Like you you got to show me something after a five and seven year where you had everything go right the previous year and really haven't been able to capitalize it. So this this one, I think they're going to struggle this year. Maybe they're kind of like right around bowl eligibility, but long term, great for Mel to get that contract. But I don't know. I just am not 100% sold on Michigan State. They've always had a tough time recruiting in the Big Ten. Like that, that was part of the issues for many years. It's tough to recruit against Michigan and Ohio State and all those teams there. But you're going to have to show me something here this year in year four. Yeah. Good news is that the Big Ten's only getting easier, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. This is going to, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. I, um, I got, let's see. I really, I guess I got kind of two more. I have one very quick one player i don't trust bo nix i know that like last year he kind of had this resurgence i think it might be an outlier i don't trust him to replicate it this coming year i'm kind of low on bo nix i'll stick in the pack 12 usc as a team i don't trust them i think caleb williams really? is going to be great but that defense is still going to be bad i just don't think they did enough i don't think they did enough to fix it um and it's going to hold them back you know maybe over time Lincoln Riley will be able to to build the, the defense that he needs out there, but he's not really had a great track record with that. So I, I just don't trust them as a team to do as well, right? I think Utah's tough. Oregon's going to be tough. I think Washington's going to be really tough. It's, it's going to be difficult for them, I think, to have the – I think they'll be good, right? But their goals are like national championship level, and I just don't think that they're – they're going to be able to get there really quickly. I guess the last thing sort of jokingly, but also very, very true that I don't trust is uh, Brian Ferentz's ability to lead an offense. That's going to score 25 <laughs> points a game. <laughs> and I can't wait to track this all year and see where we land with this for him to be able to make his money and be retained. Um, I just think this is one of the most hilarious things, especially considering you know the this is like the opposite of nepotism i guess um just like well I mean, the getting the job there, is nepotism right. but yeah but but yeah you know now it's like we've swung the pendulum super far the other way where you know it's just it's gonna be fascinating to see like this this incentive is not super high i love this like looking at last year and often scoring 25 points a game would have been the 85th ranked scoring offense in the country. So this is not even like a high bar to meet. But at the same time, last year they scored 17.7 points a game. <laughs> so I the things I don't trust, I, I don't think Brian Ferentz has a job next year. I think that they are unable to meet this goal, and it's going to be hilarious. I almost put Kirk Ferentz as one of my most trusted coaches. Oh, I do this trust dude him. has been there forever. They consistently get like seven to nine wins even though their offense is like the most feckless group of people of all time and like punting is usually a better op option than trying to throw the ball and they're still usually very good like that's what could what more could you ask for from a coach i don't know last thing that i'll just add here i i did want to just put a question mark next to hugh freeze 
he like has this reputation as being a great coach, mostly just from the fact that he had a couple of good recruiting classes at Mississippi, managed to beat Alabama in a very famous top 10 game for them. But his overall record is 39 and 25. I'm sorry. It's 12 and 25 because he had to vacate a whole bunch of wins. And <laughs> that the fact that he is bringing that to Auburn, a place that has a fan base of insane people that expect to compete every year with Alabama and Georgia and Florida and all of these schools. I don't know, like the best he ever got from Liberty was like an eight win season. So like I can see it. I see that he has a high powered offense, but I don't know that it translates like I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I just don't have a lot of faith. And at the end of the day, you have Hugh Freeze as your coach. So you have to just kind of sit on that and accept that and hope that he doesn't do something that shames your university. I am very on board with that. Not only, not only do I think he will fail, but I hope he will fail. And I don't have an issue with Auburn, but that guy really rubs me the wrong way. Not touching that. Yeah, well, he would. Well, if there are any teams that you trust or distrust, you can write into us and share those thoughts at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com, or you can reach out to us on social media at PWOPod. And we are ramping up now. We're getting into season prep territory. Every episode now will be just getting us as excited as possible for the season to come. So looking forward to that. Uh, In the words of the immortal Bart Scott, can't wait.